searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back with the Pitch Please podcast. And today I've got Jeff from Staccato. They're an AI music co-writer that helps everyone unlock their full creative potential as a creator. I'm excited to learn more about Jeff, about this new AI innovation that they're working on and a bit about how Staccato is going to change the world of, of music and creators. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Maybe start with a quick introduction about yourself. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. So yeah, my name is Jeff, and basically Staccato is a platform of generative AI tools for music and lyrics. So essentially, we help songwriters and music creators overcome any writer's block or just spark new creative ideas just from scratch. It's kind of like a music library or database at your fingertips, so you can always stay in an uninterrupted state of creative flow. And then the most integral part that we always want to get out is that we never want to replace the human creator. Instead, we're only looking to enhance their abilities in the way they create as all this AI technology unfolds so rapidly nowadays. That's our biggest thing. Always want people to know. Super cool. Let's dive in a little bit about your background. So right now you're the founder or co-founder of, of Staccato? Co-founder, yeah. Co-founder of Staccato. And obviously, you know, you've been doing this for roughly how long? So I started all of this back in my PhD. So probably four or five years ago is when I was just dipping my toes in this sort of generative AI space. A, in terms of AI and music, probably even longer, maybe seven years at the start of my PhD. Oh, wow. So do you, was this like a, a birthing of your PhD? Like were you kind of just, this is sort of your major thing after your PhD? Or tell us a little bit about that or what do you even did your PhD? And maybe that's going to be super relevant to this. Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll even go back farther than that. So I, I basically like I started playing guitar when I was thirteen, and then a few years later, I was like completely obsessed. And then I started playing professionally on guitar and keyboards for anybody that would hire me. A lot of music theater. So there was some point in high school, definitely where I was like, I just have to. My life has to revolve around music. I don't care how. It just has to have music in some way, shape, or form. But I was always really interested in composing at the same time, music theory, and all just how music works. To uh, Western University, I took music composition and music theory. It was kind of a combined thing back. Um, and sort of, I went the whole undergrad route, and you kind of do the interesting stuff that you can. It was grad school, really, where they let you do kind of whatever you want, um, so long as you can back it up. So I was always interested in how I could apply tech to music. So my early projects were kind of, I was like coding. It was an excuse to like teach myself to code, but then say that I was still working towards my master's and so nobody was getting annoyed. And so I was doing live coding and music. So basically you're coding functions that will then make the music. And it's sort of like what DJs do where you're tapping along a computer and then the music comes out. So I had fun with that and I was trying to do things where the audience could collaborate with what was going on stage. Again, with coding little web apps where the audience could sort of get into this web app and then as the performance was going they could hit little buttons and they could make music too or their phones were kind of the surround sound extra surround sound for what was going on stage so i was already like thinking about how to create web apps but with not any particular goals of being in business or starting a company it was just purely out of interest and how could i make noise and music and, and, and new and 
of ways. And then when I kept going with my PhD, I thought I was still looking for what, what would be kind of interesting to do. And this is when I was starting to have another resurgence. As soon as I saw GPT-2, which was the kind of precursor to chat GPT, that's when I was like, oh, this is it. This is the one. So I was working on how could I basically rewrite the models that work for GPT-2 back when it was open source into something that would work for music. So instead of just looking at the text and predicting what words should come next, it was looking backwards, but looking up and looking down and see all the chords and harmonies that were going on and then predict what was going to come next. So that's what I did for my PhD. And then when I left school, I, I just wanted to keep doing it. So that's where the, the company formed was just out of grad school. That's super cool. There's a lot of things I want to dig into there, but at sure. its core, you've sort of been a music buff like your whole life. 100%. And you've sort of been persistent in that you are going to forcefully find a way to make your passion for music your career path. And so you pursued that in school. We're working on some things alongside. But where did this like tech curiosity come into this? Like, I, I can't imagine everyone just picks up randomly without even going to school for it and decides they want to be a coder. Is it like spawned out of your desire to create and be curious? Or is there something else that sort of inspired you to start playing around in, in the tech space and starting to bring these things together? Yeah, I, I think for sure there's just something. If you like music composition, I think there's something inside of you that is happy to create in kind of any way, shape or form. So I like other hobbies I like, like cooking and photography are 100% just still that kind of creative. How can I make something from some type of ingredients. So the ingredients could be music notes, music chords, stuff like that. It could be, it could be what you see outside, but they're just, or if, if for programming, it could be functions and variables and stuff like that. So it's just wherever there's some sort of ingredient, I, I think I find joy in how to put them together into something that's kind of interesting. So I think there was definitely something there. That it's just such a natural between music composition and coding. I mean, there, there are studies into math and music and being some relations there. But I think for me, it was just sort of, yeah, you got this blank page and how can you do something kind of interesting with it? That's super cool. And I'm glad those, I love how you kind of found the common thread across all of your hobbies there yeah. being the, the mix of ingredients. Now, entrepreneurship, was that ever a consideration or before you jumped all in here with Staccato, like, have you always thought that maybe entrepreneurship would be something or maybe it would just be like doing your own thing but in in music um yeah it was that like uh, something that you thought of earlier no it just happened so I, I kind of always figured the route i would take is just stay in school and then try and become a professor after and teach after that's what both my parents do so i think i just saw the path there and i had a lot of help too of how that could potentially happen if, if by doing certain things but then when i finished school i just needed a little break from theorizing and writing. And I just kind of wanted to create a little bit. So I just started consulting and just sort of, and because this GPT-3 was taking off. So everybody was looking for ways to apply GPT-3 into their business. So I was just consulting in terms of here are my skill sets that I've done over the past while. And it, most of it had to do with language and GPT-3. So I understand before I could make it work with music. So I was just sort of helping other people there and kind of learning what it means to run a business on a very small scale, like just for yourself. And uh, I had some help along the way with different people that sort of I was around and sort of how to make things better. And I, I think as a professional musician, you're self-employed and you're already learning to be entrepreneurial 
just from that, you learn how to uh, go to a gig, talk money, sell yourself, find value in what you can provide and how can you sell that? And can you bring more value to the table and then thus make more money for yourself? And can you live off of that when it's an extremely competitive and difficult world? So I think there was just little pieces that were falling into place, but it was never a big desire uh, to be an entrepreneur. It just sort of kind of happened. And then because I wanted to make staccato happen so badly, the, the rest was just find whoever could help me realize this goal. And the, the biggest person for that is my co-founder, Jason. You dive, he's business guy, he's an accountant. So he brings a lot, all that stuff to the table and I can just pick his brain constantly for all the, the missing stuff. That's cool. And I love how you're describing themes of things in your life that are so related because I think sometimes people think they need to be like cut from this entrepreneurial family cloth or they need to have been a five-time founder to start something. But you've talked about a lot of amazing core attributes and skill sets of other things you were doing, whether it being an independent artist, whether it being a creative and creator of great food, great photography, great music, but also great applications. Now, you, you touched on a piece there, which is like you just felt like you had to start Staccato. What was that moment? What kind of pushed you over the edge? And I want to even like go back after and talk about GPT-2 because most people probably don't even know what that is. But let's just talk about like what pushed you over the edge on Staccato. I think it was happening during grad school uh, when I was building for school. I'm, it was much more of a classical music kind of discipline that I was in. So everything was really revolved around how can this work for writing a piece of music? Because I had to write a string quartet as part of my dissertation. And so part of the goal of the essentially was the MVP of Staccato. I used it to write the string quartet. So I would pass ideas back and forth with it and it would inspire me and so on and so forth until I had a 20 minute piece. But I always felt like this would work really well for pop music, especially in the sense of I wanted to build a lyrics application to it because I was sucked at lyrics. I would write guitar parts and everything like that, but then I would, it would come to lyrics and it would just be looking around a room and trying to figure out whatever was right in front of me. There was no poetic aspect to it. Um, so I thought a lyrics application too would be great given all these text tools that are out there. So I was already thinking I want to bring that. But I think that because there was some... Stifling is a hard, harsh word. It's not that they were doing that. They're just trying to keep you focused so you finish your work. But I always felt like it needed to be something bigger. So I think as soon as school was done, I wanted to sort of A, bring all that stuff that I was thinking about already to the front and then B, make sure that I was making the decisions and I wasn't influenced by anything around me. So that kind of naturally meant starting a company where, okay, it's your thing. And then from there, you can make all the decisions, whether right or wrong or focused or unfocused, at least you get to, to make those decisions. So I think it was sort of, it was growing. And then what pushed me, uh, I think, was doing the consulting and you're working on all these other people's projects. Some are cool, some not as much. And then at some point you just go, I don't want to work on anybody else's stuff anymore. I just want to do music, like I mentioned earlier, and get back to that because that was always the ultimate goal. Super cool. Now, um, trying to figure out how I, there's so many things I want to talk about. This is super <laughs> interesting. Maybe let's dive into a little bit around this, this space, I guess. Actually, hold on. Well, I, I don't want to even jump ahead because I still wanted to redo the pitch and, and talk through a little bit of this. Maybe let's talk about like, GPT-2. Now, I think like everyone probably like Kleenex level knows what chat GPT is. Sure. But you're talking about this thing called GPT-2. When was that? What 
got you hooked or interested in AI? Because AI, well, talk about when GP2 sort of inspired you, but I, I'm curious what got you curious in AI at that time, because that wasn't like in the last year and probably most people heard of or really got curious about AI in, I don't know, last 12, 24 months, maybe. But before that, it's been around for a while. So what got you hooked? Yeah, so I think it was around 2017 is where GPT-2 came out. And I think what got me hooked was that they posted something. And there was a GPT-1. There was the first one. And GPT, I should say, stands for Generative Pre-trained Model. So essentially what it's saying is that you can use this thing that they've already pre-trained on. It can speak English, essentially. And you can do things to it to teach it little other things, like maybe teach it something specific on how to write an academic paper. And you don't have to start from scratch and teach it English. It already knows maybe, let's say, a high school level amount of English, and then you teach it a little bit more. So that's where the, the pre-trained aspect comes from. And then what happened with the move from GPT-1 to GPT-2 was they didn't release the best model that they had. So there were these smaller ones that were pretty good, but the best one they said, it's too dangerous to release. We're scared about what this could bring. I think I saw that and just thought, well, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. So I need to know all these other models up to that point. And they did obviously eventually release it and the world ends. So that's good. And we're now at GPT-4 and the world still hasn't ended. So that's great. There was something about this idea that it had learned English in their minds. I think it was mostly English at that point. It might have had some other applications, other languages. Not as good as it is translating nowadays. But there was something about this idea that they had trained on English text to such a degree that they were now worried that it might get better at writing text than humans or be on par with humans. That I think I was just sort of like, oh, I've always liked tech, but is there actually that ability that you can train a computer on this skill that is your own skill that you've spent your life on to such a level that maybe it rivals what you can do? So I was partly seeing if that was possible, but partly just understanding what is behind that that might bring it to that level. And is, it, is that even possible? I think the more I spent researching it and do, the more I uh, squashed those doomsday sort of opinions of it. And it's really not competitive with humans because you, you can train it up to some level, but the humans are always one step ahead. And I mean, it remains to be seen what happens in the future, but at least at this point, it just isn't as good as what we can do. But there was something interesting there. Okay, well, if you can train it up to this point, what can the human bring to it and can it enhance what the human can do? And does the human always stay ahead of it if it's always enhancing what the human can do? So I think that's where the kind of the interest came from just seeing the initial sort of GPT-2 papers that I was reading. That's cool. And so do, are you the technical co-founder of, yeah. of Staccato? So yeah. You so self-learned uh, because you didn't go to school officially for this. So you self-learned coding yeah. the applications and implementations of AI just out of your own curiosity. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was in music school the whole time I did this. So I wasn't in comp sci. Um, I was lucky that one of my advisors throughout my PhD, I sought him out. Like I tried to find somebody that could help me in that regard. And, but he had a big background in computational linguistics and kind of history of computers and all that kind of stuff. And he was a good coder himself. So he taught me a lot, but some was just buying books off Amazon and working through each example and, and, and problem. And then uh, ultimately, once it felt like I had gotten to a certain level, it was just downloading all the papers. Because back then, everything was open source, but now everybody's trying to monetize it. So it's not always open source. So I would just compare what I was learning to what the cool things were. And because I had a goal, I was pretty driven towards it. 
I think if you just start CompSci from scratch and you have no goal and you just start at day one variables or something like that, you don't have a goal, so it's not as exciting. But if you know what you want to achieve with, it's sort of easier. And then, like I said, it was in grad school, so I just built it into my project. So there was always something that I was working towards and I just sort of sped it up from there. But I was pretty driven. It was like the tangibility of what you were working on that you were sort of like, I'm not solving a, a hypothetical challenge. Like I'm actually trying to get this to do something for me. So you're self-learning it alongside your PhD, which is super cool. Yeah. And it wasn't um, like I, and it was like, I'm going to have it write music in a month. It was like, maybe next week I could have it pick a note out of the 12 notes. What would be the highest probability note to pick? And is that the correct note? So it was very s slow. It wasn't like it happened sort of over one semester. It took quite a while, but, and there was just little pieces of the puzzle that I had to figure out. Who so what was like the hardest part of that, would you say? That one was not too bad because I had time. And when you're in grad school, it's you're just sort of in school and you know you've got these ultimate deadlines. And if you're really passionate about what you're doing, it doesn't feel too bad or too hard at any particular time. Like you just have all this time to work on. What's hard is I built that for myself and only myself. But when I came to school and I wanted other people to use it, that was hard. Was okay, my coding skills are not where they should be for making a server and tons of people talk to the server at the same time. So the hardest thing was, uh, I think, was scaling it so that even just more than one person can use it. And I think it was like, I probably had some hack way that worked, probably wasn't the optimal to make it work. So the hardest part was definitely, how can I make it so it's more than just me can use it? Yeah, so making the thing that you made for a singular purpose scalable to, to help others. Now in this AI space, you have to obviously be pretty engaged with the pulse of what's going on. What are some of the most interesting things you are seeing? And are some of those things making their way into how you're thinking about Staccato? And then soon we'll talk about Staccato deeply soon. But I want to just get your take on like this AI space, some of the most interesting things you're seeing, some of maybe the scariest, you know, you said... There's all these like doomsday predictions back then, obviously that not there, but there's some guardrails that we probably have to be aware of. Like, what are you kind of kind of seeing? I don't pay as much attention anymore to image and video creation as I used to just to stay focused. But I'll circle back to that, too, from what I hope doesn't happen in that kind of world. But I do pay a lot of attention still to what's going on in these text models. And I'm always very interested in what OpenAI is doing, especially with ChatGPT, because the GPT-2 version that I was talking about, all it could do was you would input some text and it would just continue the text for you based on what's the probability of the next word being the most important. Out of the fact that you can do translation, you can have it draw tables for you, you can have it code, you can do all these different things. That's the most exciting one in terms of what word is, okay, we have something that can continue the music for you, but how can we make it more exciting and how can we have it do other things or fix things that are in, in the past of your music that might be a good to go and seek out something that seems a little bit off and then just add a little correction like it does with coding. Um, that's what I keep my finger on the pulse of the most is just sort of um, how these language models are sort of getting better and better and improving and just the interesting use cases for them. Um, that's always kind of exciting for what could we, how could it come over to music in some way, shape, or form, or performers, or, or anything to do, more than even just music creation, but the other aspect of music. So I find it interesting. But to go back to the image and video, the, the, the nerves that I have around that aren't so much the ability of 
what AI can do. It's how people might use it because it's cheaper and it's enough. I, I worry about a good enough approach to things. So let's say for movies, what if you could generate a good enough movie for an hour and a half? So we already see that maybe movies aren't always as interesting as they used to be. So it's more just like this movie two, this movie three and four. And, and there's no sort of new content. It's just what will sell. So what happens if the AI can replicate what is marketable and what will get enough butts and seats that they make money? And so it just becomes, okay, this isn't, is 80% as good as a human movie. It will sell pretty much just as well. So let's go an easier route because it'll be cheaper. And then ultimately we'll make more money. And it's the same for music too, is I would worry that some of the audio related ones where we do, we focus more on kind of the creation side of music. But once it's been recorded, could record labels eventually have these tools that they can make songs personalized to people. So you get your Ed Sheeran sounding song, but it's 100% personalized to your life and your experiences. So are you more likely to buy that over the more general one Ed Sheeran does? And then it's got this good enough approach where it's enough to make you buy it or listen to it, but it's so good that it sort of changes music and keeps music moving. So I worry about this kind of static thing that might happen where music just stops here and it's never really getting any better but it's just sort of as good as it's been trained on up to that point that, that'd be the most worrying thing that i i could see right now it's, it's an interesting concept so yeah. like so in an ideal world probably what you empower creators or you allow both to persist where there's the good enoughs but you still have original content and original pieces which push the category forward and the reality is you just have more content now maybe exactly yeah but the, the thing, too, is that there are, there is research to suggest that when we listen to music, we want to hear, I can't remember the percentages, so don't quote me on it, but something yeah, like no we hear 80% of something that we recognize. That's why popular music is so popular. So we want to hear drum beats that sound familiar and chord progressions sound familiar. But we want some little percentage of something that surprises us that we've never heard. And that's what makes us go, this is my new favorite song. So part of me thinks, too, that if, there is this thing where AI can regurgitate a lot of music or movies that is, is good enough, is that we'll still crave as humans that surprise that the AI just can't do. And then that's where you still have the humans bring in their creativity. So that's that's the, the hope is that it will still just kind of, we'll always be ahead of the AI in that sense. That's super cool. I love like the, I'm like putting those pieces together and maybe envisioning how that world works, but I'm still loving your, your human centric approach to this as an assistive tool. Mm -hmm. And there's these still these very important categories where humans play a very important role. And I think that's the biggest dialogue that people need to have more openly is like, absolutely. Yeah. There's some realities of where AI is going to lean in, but there's, we have to look for those real opportunity areas. And I think I really love your example of how humans crave some percentage of difference to make something their new favorite song and how AI can take things it knows, but it'll have a hard time creating these unique elements. That's probably where humans are really going to be able to excel in this piece. So let's maybe bring that back to, to Staccato. Actually, but before we even dive into, I'll get you to redo your pitch so we can talk about the business, but how did you come up with the name Staccato? There's a few things that I wanted it to not be. One being, just because the Ontario company, I didn't want it to be the general Ontario and seven numbers, whatever it is, like you see for your landlords and stuff. 
I didn't want it to be like that because it's boring. And I didn't want it to be a lot of companies and not to knock them. They have, it, it'll be something Lee or something EO. So I didn't want it to be like create EO or create Lee or musically or anything like that. I wanted it to be something different. So I was going through all the various terms that you see when you're playing music or writing music. Most of them are Italian terms. And then I thought back to my holding company that I had started for sort of other projects that I was doing. And for that one, I just had the same approach. I didn't want it to be an Ontario corporation with a bunch of numbers. And I decided I would make it a music joke that at least made me laugh. I don't know if it made anyone else laugh, but it was, um, I called it Tenuto, which means to hold or to hold the note longer or held note. And I just thought it was funny for a holding company. So I think other names, I thought, well, if, if it's going to hold a, a sort of a company that I'm working on, maybe it should just be the opposite. And staccato is essentially the opposite of Tenuto, where you have a detached way of playing the note rather than a held way of playing the note. So that's just really where it came from. And then my little sister, who's uh, in design, or went to school for design, she was helping me create a logo. And I think we just found some logos that looked cool. And so the name just stuck once we had a cool look for it. But it kind of worked out. I still like it. So it's it definitely there's no remorse over the, the music nerd in you is coming out. I, I love it. And I love how it has like a real core rooting in like uh, a music element that, you know, you've got a layer or two deeper, but it, it has real meaning for you, which is which is cool. Yeah. So maybe give us the pitch on what staccato is again. And then I want to talk a little bit about this category, what else is in it and, and some other elements of your business to help people understand what you're building here. Yeah. So. Essentially, yeah, we're a platform of generative AI tools for music and lyrics. So songwriters, composers, music creators, producers, any of those types, we want to help them out as much as we can. And the biggest pain that we're trying to overcome, and this is sort of what I built it for initially, was writer's block. So for me, I had to write a 20-minute piece, and I'd never written anything that long. I knew I was going to have writer's block. If I had it for four minutes, I'm going to have it for 20 minutes times five. So I, I tried to help that standpoint of it, what if you never get stuck? So you're, if you think back to university and, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're writing an essay, some days it just flows out of you. And some days it takes three days before you can write another couple of words. What if you never had that moment of no inspiration? And there was always just some spark, whether you use what we generate for you wholesale, or it just gives you enough of an idea to keep moving. We just want to give you this music library database at your fingertips at all. So there's always a suggestion that can happen based on wherever, whatever point your music is at or your lyrics are at. And then so because of that, we think of it more as an AI co-writer. And we're always just trying to enhance what you can do. We're never trying to make all the decisions for you. So we try to avoid anything where you type in a genre and a beats per minute and it generates the entire music for you because there's no interest there. And then you, you haven't done anything. You've just suggested something based on a couple of keywords. We want you to be the creator and you have to be the and we'll just sort of help you along the way and keep you creating. And that's the most important part that we see is that we're just sort of making sure that these musicians, songwriters, creators are still the most important person in the process of creating new music. So to steal a Microsoft term and branding here, you're the co-pilot of, of music creators everywhere. Yeah, we like to think that we are, yeah. Or the chat GPT of music. That's super cool. Now... Talk to me about this like category of assistive music, AI and music. 
what else is out there? You don't have to drop your competitors' names and give them free publicity, but what's the spectrum of what people are using to create music, assist them in create music, replace them in create music? What's like the spectrum of what's out there? I'm, I'm super not tuned into this industry. If we look just AI music, it's actually interesting and because we're trying to differentiate ourselves because music can mean a lot of things. You could argue that Shazam is some level of AI music where you play it a song and it's using kind of machine learning algorithms to figure out what the song is. So there's still AI music there. And then some of it is, I want to play guitar to my favorite song, but there's a guitar part in my way. So there's these AI music tools that will actually remove that guitar stem from the track. So you can play yourself and feel like you're the main person in the band. So one thing that we're trying to do too is that we're actually calling ourselves an AI instrument at times, or what one of the products that we're offering is an AI instrument where it's just another instrument in your arsenal that you can use to create music. And so this sort of helps us differentiate from this really vast AI music kind of umbrella that we have, where we don't want people coming in expecting that they can remove stems or that they can identify music because we don't offer that. We're, we're sort of, but what we do offer is, like I said, yeah, instrument that keep you moving. And then in terms of kind of other software in the space, a really important part for us is that it's not another thing that you have to learn plugs into whatever you use to create. So for anybody creating recording music, for example, you've got these, this software called Digital Audio Workstation, and it's essentially recording software where you have all your nice tracks. Sometimes you record piano tracks, then you record your voice and drums, and then until your song's done, then you release it. So... What we do is we, we have a plugin that we'll release soon that just fits in right there. You don't even have to open up the browser. You just drag and drop the track that you've been working on and it'll continue to write the music there and then you stick it back in your track. So there's very little learning curve because these types of plugins are so commonplace. You have tons of other kind of plugins, not even that are competitors, but are just other plugins that exist. So it's a very natural kind of move to just sort of drag and drop stuff in. So... Uh, because one thing that we get when we talk to other musicians is they're just like, I'm not going to use something if I have to like think about it and work hard at it, unless it's something I really, really want. Usually they're just, they've already figured out what they want to do, at least for the pros. And they just want stuff that's going to either help their workflow and increase productivity, but they're not going to do something that slows them down. So there, there's that route of it. And then there's also the more old school route and the one that I did a lot in university with classical music, which is notation software. So writing in all the notes, it's kind of like a word, Microsoft Word, but for music, where you're writing out all your scores and all of that. Right now, we just have it where you'd have to use the browser still to work with that, where you take your music, you drop it in a staccato and bring it back when it's, it generates new stuff for you. But eventually we'll have plugins for that as well, where it just sort of like auto-corrects, but much more predictive uh, music for it, where it can pop up and show you where it's going. That's cool. So today it, it exists primarily within the browser. For some of the elements, it's going to start to plug in right to your audio creation software. Like what are these softwares called just for people listening? If they use it, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I use or that's what I was thinking of using. Yeah, the most popular ones are uh, Logic, GarageBand, the, the light version of Logic, Ableton, Pro Tools, uh, Cubase are, are the big ones. And then on the notation software side, Sibelius and Finale, MuseScore, those are the big three. Although I am seeing a move with younger generations of browser-related applications. So we, we don't see it dying off on the browser. We're just trying to make sure everybody can create where they want to create. That's cool. So plugins generally for a bunch of these platforms, are they currently available? Will be, will be soon. This is like a, a current roadmap type item. 
Yeah, it will be ready very soon. It exists, and I play with it, and I, I think it's fun, but it's just a matter of getting some infrastructure around it to deliver it to people and make sure all the bugs aren't there. Like I said, like when I develop it for myself, I can always use it, and it's always about making sure other people can just as easily use it. Yeah, you want to minimize frustration even for your, your early users. You were kind of talking about two things there, and maybe you can unlock that for me. It sounds like there's this element to help writer's block and the writing of words in music. And then there's this element you were talking about, the actual music, I guess the notes or the instruments, or uh, I'm not probably using the right terms, but there's two elements to the music and Staccato actually has two parts. They're two separate apps all in one. How does that work? Yeah, so I should clarify. So we, we have the lyrics, two apps essentially on our platform. So we have the lyrics and then the AI instrument music writing. So the, the lyrics one works similarly to stuff that you might see if you played around chat GPT, but what we bring is uh, you don't have to prompt it. You don't have to write all these, like me, this and that, and figure out the best way to sort of get the AI working. We'll take care of that for the songwriter. And all you have to do is basically pretend like you were writing your song as normal, but you have more options on the side in case of you get stuck You're halfway through a verse and you get stuck. So then you can use these little buttons on the side that says, just generate two more lines for me based on what I've already written. So it'll still rhyme according to your rhyme scheme. It'll still pick up all your themes and stuff like that. Or if you just can't come up with any chorus, any bridge, and you can either pop that straight into it and it'll generate chorus, a potential chorus for you, or you put in keywords based on what you're thinking. Because what I find, and I think a bunch of other songwriters find it too, is sometimes you have enough idea in your head, but you just can't communicate what that actually looks like. So if you just a few keywords, sunny day, hanging out with friends, stuff like that, it'll write an option for you. And you can either take that whole chorus if you like it, or you can just scrape out the stuff you don't like. But at least it's hopefully enough that it gave you that spark to go, oh, that's what the chorus is. That's in my head. Okay, that's almost it. And then I'll change it from there. So we just try to give really simple application of this kind of cool cutting edge AI technology where you are just working really fast and you don't have to sort of get out of that creative state of flow that we're trying to always keep you in. And then the, the music. App. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, go, go ahead. I was just like mentally seeing it. So it's like, it's like an assistive, Hey, while you're writing along the side is producing future options of things you could color in against what you're doing for the, yeah. the lyric app. Exactly. And to differing levels. So either a whole chorus or a couple lines or even just a couple of rhymes that might help you out. So just depending on how much help you need, it's there for you. And then, yeah, and then the music side, the AI instrument works kind of in a similar way. We use what's called MIDI and it's a protocol that if you've ever seen a keyboard where they push the buttons at the top and suddenly it's a piano, suddenly it's an organ, suddenly it's strings. The underlying information that's being passed to the sounds are, is this MIDI protocol. So it's saying the person hit this note at this velocity, like how hard they hit it for and held it for this long. And then the sounds go, yeah, that's great. Like it didn't say what sound they want, but whatever buttons they push, I'll make that sound. And so you can plug and play all these different sounds, but the information is the part that we're interested in. So we basically help them at that information level. And then they get the ability for all the hundreds of dollars that they've spent on the nicest 
organ sound or piano sound. They can plug all of that in and we're just going to help them pass along that information or help create the new musical information that can then ultimately sound the way they want. And that's the way that we stay out of purely audio because that's the one that makes me nervous where I think there's gonna be a lot of lawsuits because you can take all the audio of the world and splice it into little half seconds and regurgitate it and call it a new song. But there's still IP in that half a second of somebody that played the guitar for half a second at Abbey Road or something or drums and for half a second. I worry about messing with anything around creators IP, even if they just recorded it for that tiny little bit of time. So we were just right at that creator level. We don't mess with what's been published and exists as true audio. Got it. So you're not taking from an existing source. You're kind of just playing with the instruments within the panel, if you will, alongside that. Yeah, and, and the information on how those instruments will eventually sound. And so, of course, if you use our thing to mimic a Beatles melody, that's kind of on you that you shouldn't do that in the same way that I can't just write a Beatles melody by heart and publish it. So it's sort of, we're doing everything that we can to sort of combat copyright and we even have a sort of a copyright checker kind of in that turn it in style thing cool. where it will say like look don't you revisit this one section it's looking a little too close to something that already exists or something that somebody on our site already wrote so you might want to rewrite that and so everything we can to sort of keep the creator's mind at ease that um, copyright is taken seriously that's amazing so like like really responsible ai capabilities being built right in from day zero in, in terms of how you're thinking about this. Exactly, because beyond what the pain point of the creator themselves is, uh, the scariest thing for them is that the music that they put in is going to appear um, across the world's music and you don't want that. So what we really try to do is everything in place that we can to stop copyright from happening <laughs> so you can just create and uh, just know that it's you're not your stuff's not going to get stolen on the other side of the planet. That's cool. Now I want to talk about pricing and how you make money, but the, mm -hmm. the question that I can't help but think is if I'm using Staccato to help me create either melodies or lyrics, do I own the IP once this is done? Or is there any copyright risk for me as an artist utilizing this tool to create things? Or it's all mine as long as I'm paying Staccato in whichever way that is? Yeah, it's yours. Like you at the creator level you haven't even published it yet so you you figure out you figure out what you want to do we're going to help you get to your song and then uh you publish your song and you put it on spotify and it's, it's yours what you create in the end is yours because it might also change from what we helped you generate so we, we make sure that it's just helping creators yeah we try to stay away from anything that might steal stuff from them. So yeah, it's yours. I love it. So how, how much does this cost? It sounds expensive, but I'm sure you're doing it for, for an amazing price. But like, it sounds like a super powerful tool if I'm a creator to output more content faster without the block or as an assistant. How, what are the ways that you price this out? And how do you and Staccato make money? It's, it's, so it's all subscription models. Uh, we do have sort of a trial period too, where you can uh, test out some of the tools before you buy it. And then it's, yeah, it's way cheaper than if you're going to hire a human co-writer to work with you and, and pay them hourly. It can be cheaper than buying all the music books that you could possibly find and you know for yourself how certain bands write their music. So we have, if you just want to do the lyric side, it's $8 American a month. And then the music side is 11 
50 and then you can combine it for $15 to get to both apps and the all American pricing. So convert for any Canadians. And, and yeah, but like I said, it's vastly cheaper than hiring people and buying content or taking online courses to sort of get better. And it's a lot faster because it'll do the work for you and figuring out what is the next best thing that can come in this software. And that's kind of the beauty of the, the deep learning technology is that it's allowing us to get to this cheaper and faster place for music creativity. Yeah, I love it. Now, again, I want to just sort of get ahead because I know someone's thinking this like, oh, this Jeff guy and this stack, oh, I'm just going to use chat GPT. I don't really know why I would pay for that when I use chat GPT. Sure. Can you talk about like why this is different uh, and what's unique about it versus someone just trying to do like use chat GPT directly? The biggest thing is that we come from that musician standpoint first. So when I was back in grad school and I was just writing papers and not necessarily developing any of this, these applications, the one thing that I was noticing a lot is that a lot of this research comes from people that are in computer science first and maybe are serious, even like super serious ho hobbyists in terms of music, but they still built their life around sort of the tech side first and the music side second. So what I was, and not to knock any anybody, it's still cool that they did that. But the thing is that what we were finding is that they were fit for common music theory things to musicians. So we would look at that and go, oh, it's just basic music. But they were forgetting it because they didn't go that same route that we as musicians took. And they were just sort of quickly trying to figure out the music theory that made sense to whatever application they were using in it. So we try to bring that same approach to what we do in terms of, I'm a musician, I started there, so I can bring as much help to that as I possibly can. And then I have a lot of friends that I've played music with over the, all the years, and then I can draw upon them for what they would want to see in something like this. So it's always about what helps the musician first and what's going to be the best for their workflow. So yeah, for sure. For chat GBT example, the best things that we offer is purely just do you want to write in questions to ChatGPT? And do you know how to write in the questions that will get the best sort of response out of ChatGPT? And then also we just train our models based on more music specific things rather than how train their models on where it's just everything in the world <laughs> of text. So we can kind of curate it towards musicians as well. And then the music version is exactly the same where there's just, in our opinion, nobody that compares to the level that we've trained and then just how we've trained it in the sense of we're training it so musicians can use it, not just so a computer can maybe write music. So I think that's the most important and unique aspect that we bring to it. It's just musician first. Yeah, they're different tools. It's a tool that could get you there, but we're talking about the right tool for the right job. Exactly. The right instrument for the right note, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. I, I love it. So Jeff, what sort of on this journey has been maybe the hardest part and is there any advice you can share as learnings from something maybe that was a challenge getting to where you are today? The hardest things are, like I said, for me in terms of the server and just making it so that it was other people could use it. That was a big hard part or getting caught up on the business side of things. So the biggest advice that I would have is just know when to delineate tasks and whether that's find somebody that you trust that might be a great co-founder. And I got super lucky in that regard. And I learn a ton and anything that I, I don't know or just am never going to get to that same level that he has. So we would delineate those tasks to him and because it's for the purpose of making the company better. So know, when, know where your weaknesses are and see if there's somebody that can 
come on board. It's hard when you're a startup because you don't necessarily have the money just to hire the best talent around. But pick brands as much as you can for anything that you don't know. Buy lunches. Like there's always some way to get some of that information that you don't have from people around you. And just, yeah, I think knowing where the weaknesses are and then finding the right person that can help you as much as possible. And if you do have the money to hire the people, then somebody that's just so much more talented at you at that role than you could ever be. And then it's only going to serve the purpose of making the company better. So that's, that would be the biggest advice. And from what I've found in starting from purely just tech and music and then trying to start a company from there is there's a lot of people that I need to help me. Otherwise it's not going to go anywhere. This is very, very helpful advice around kind of closing off your blind spots with amazing talent and even if you can't hire it, go out there and ask for help. Sometimes it might be free. Sometimes it might just cost you a lunch, but it'll help you get across the finish line. What's sort of been your most memorable experience or, or part of the journey so far? Ooh, memorable moments. I mean, for me, it's all these little milestones. I, I mean, just taking something that was created just like in my room and for school and then the first customer that you have come in, even just the first person that signed up was super memorable. And then that first person that actually paid you money to use something that you created initially for yourself, that was really memorable. So there's just all these little milestones and it doesn't have to be like your company got super rich or anything like that. It's just these little things along the way that have been incredibly memorable. That's, that's funny. It's a very common, common thread or theme is that first person that wasn't a friend or a family member that yeah. paid, discovered you and paid. As little as it might have been, like that little bit of revenue, everyone always kind of recounts it as spending, you know, five, 10, 100x that on like beer and celebrations because of how meaningful it was to the work that they were putting in. So it's cool. Oh, yeah, for, a screenshot sent to everybody just through text, like somebody signed up. I, I love it. The months ahead, what sort of, what help are you potentially looking for? What are some of the big milestones ahead? And if people want to find out more, where should they go or what should they do? If you want to find out more, uh, you can just Google Staccato AI or our website is staccato.ai. So that's S-T-A-C-C-A-T-O. And you can just sort of check it out. You can sign right up and it won't cost you any money and you don't have to put in your visa card or anything. And then just start playing with it. That's kind of the best way to sort of get an, an impression of how it all works is to just try it out yourself. But what was your question? I just like in the next six months, any major interesting moments for you or things that, you know, Staccato is looking for help or support in the next, maybe a raising, maybe it's just about having more people using the platform so you can learn and they can learn and you can grow. Yeah, we're, we're our biggest thing is, is basically just everything up. And like I said, getting more talented people on the team. So yeah, we're in the middle of raising and hopefully that will sort of conclude over the next few months. And then in late of this year or super early of next year, we'll have hired the new people and we're just going to churn out all these features that are right now just sort of in the project backlog and that I'm really excited to bring out there. And it just is a matter of having more hands on deck to make it happen. That's cool. And what what uh, what raises is a pre-seed seed round? Where, where are you at? Yeah, pre-seed. So we bootstrapped everything up to this point and it's Amazing. now it's time to expand. I love it. Well, amazing work, Jeff. You you and the team at Staccato are doing some really cool stuff. I love your approach and thinking around how you want to empower creators rather than replace creators. And a lot of the work you're doing around responsible AI and, and building it in 
right from day zero. Any any closing thoughts or closing words on on your side before we kind of wrap up? I think this was great. I, I hope that uh, it was interesting to to learn about what's happening in the kind of the AI music space. And and I hope yeah, I hope people will check it. And we're always looking for feedback or ideas on on other features. So I'm always happy to receive feedback. Amazing. Well, thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you, everybody who tuned in to this week's Pitch Please podcast and make sure to catch us on the next episode. Have a great day, Jeff. Thanks a lot, Mike. This was great. You've been listening to the Pitch Please podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. (laughs) Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.